This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. And you notice the title of the message is The Corporate Anointing. The Corporate Anointing. And that's what's taking place this morning why the Holy Ghost could call out people to help them. That's called the Corporate Anointing. We'll get into that in a minute. But I want to show you a couple of things out of the bookstore. Because I, I I think that to a lot of you, this is a mystery, and the anointing is just a word you hear around churches. You don't really know what it is. This is called understanding the anointing. Understanding the anointing by Brother Hagen. Really, really good book. And you know, I, I just want to say to my disciples in here, disciples that's that means a disciples a student, a follower, and I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. And pastors have disciples too. That's the ones God sends to them that trust their pastors to teach them. And so, if you get stirred today, buy this book. Start to study it, because you need to understand the anointing. And then got another here called The Spirit Within and The Spirit Upon. And it's one thing to have the Holy Spirit in you. It's another thing to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit on you. And we're going to be talking about those things today, but these books here are excellent tools, excellent studies, for disciples of Jesus Christ to learn how to flow with more of what he's doing. How do you want to know God better? And you know, I, I, uh, I don't know how to say it. I was thinking about my journal. Yesterday morning I was writing in my journal. And I first started talking to the Lord yesterday morning. One of the first things I wrote was, Father, I want to know you better. I want to know you better. I want to be more sensitive to you. I want to make sure that I follow your plan and your purpose for my life to the best I can. This is in my journal yesterday. I just remembered it. I said, I know that one day I will stand in front of you. And I'll answer you for my life, what I did on earth, what you called me to do. And all I saw when I saw that, when I wrote that down, was your faces and lots of other faces. And I know that I, I, I used to be a truck driver for a lot of years. And I was a capital when I become a born-again Christian, do my work hardly as under the Lord, because I know he was with me, pleasing him, but I had to please the dispatcher too, and, and, and customers and things. But now you're my customers. He's my dispatcher. And you're the ones I have to deliver. I want to deliver you intact. I don't want to be like some of these delivery companies where you get slammed around and knocked around and get dirt and grease all over you like that and just say, man, this package is broken like that. I'm supposed to get you healed because you come in broken. And so that's what I'm talking about today is being able to show you things from the Word of God to help you not be broken anymore. To help you be fixed. So you can fix others. Amen? That's what, that's what I'm called to do. So anyway, I said, Lord, yesterday I said, Jesus, thank you for showing me so make sure I understand exactly precisely my calling, what I'm supposed to do. I'm a pastor. I'm a Bible teacher. I'm a spiritual leader, and none of you would be here if God hadn't led you here. And because you're led here, you might you might as well hook up. You might as well, when you see the Word of God and it speaks to your heart, you might as well grab it and go with it. Because all it's going to do is give you victory. Amen. Somebody shout for Jesus. And so we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 to start off with. And that's our theme verse for the year. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. 
And I'm, a matter of fact, we're talking about the living Bible. I'm going to open up my Bible, and I don't want to get camped out here too long, but the Lord wants us to remind us of this. But it says this in the, in the living Bible, let us not neglect our church meetings as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. And as I was reading that this morning, I got into chapter 3 for a while. Why don't you mark these verses down? It would be good as you look at. Chapter 3, verse 10 to 19. And then also this one here for the verses coming up to it and, 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 and going past it. But what these verses are about is God. Now listen to this. Hebrews chapter 3, these verses leading up to this coming out, is God warning Christians to stay out of sin. The Bible teaches that sin separates you from God. Sin, the Lord told me this years ago, just give this one phrase. He says, sin is a blessing blocker. And so these verses, these verses are about Christians staying out of sin so they can be blessed. So it'd be a blessing. And you notice that it says one of the big keys to that and, you know, I don't, I don't know what to say. I, I gotta stay nice. I like to be nice, but sometimes when I'm preaching, have to shake you a little bit to get your attention. You hear how they say, duh. You know, that's modern expression, but they go, duh. Well, he's telling you right here, one of the biggest things to do to stay out of sin is come to church all the time. He says, don't neglect your church attendance. And, you know, my wife and I basically watch all old cowboy shows and old stuff like that. We just don't watch much at all. We got, we got, we got TV, got stuff on it, but man, we record old cowboy shows and old movies. And I've been thinking the last few days, it was nice back in the cowboy days when they called a Sunday go to meeting day. They got the Sunday go to meeting clothes. Well, back in the cowboy days, that makes nice shows for just people to come to a church on a Sunday morning, all the sinners come out, the drunks come out, everybody goes to church. Why? Because it's Sunday. It's the thing to do. It's the social gathering. Well, we're not in the social gathering days anymore. We're in serious times. We're in life-threatening times. We're in some really horrible, wretched times for all the things going on around us. And this verse applies now more than ever before. We can't just be Sunday morning Christians if we want to thrive. Now, if all you want to do is survive, then Sunday mornings will probably do it for you. But if you want to thrive, and you want to flourish, and you want to really be a strong Christian, then you need to come around Christians every time you can. You know, you get around Christians, for one thing, what they got's going to rub off on you. Have you ever noticed, I know that, I'm thinking about back when I was a truck driver, there's different seasons, different times, different guys and I worked together for a while like that, I would start to notice that the ones I hang around with, I start talking like. They'd have expressions and phrases and little joke things they'd say. All of a sudden, I'd notice after a few weeks, I was talking like them. I was acting like them. Things they liked, things did I liked. But then I noticed on January 29, 1980, when I got boarding and started hanging around those Pentecostals, the word blessed wasn't in my vocabulary. And... Glory wasn't in my vocabulary. Praise the Lord wasn't in my vocabulary. 
And lots of things that Christians say that to me they're second nature. Now those four-letter words aren't in my vocabulary now. But because I hung around those kind of people all the time, that's all I talked. But all of a sudden, I remember it was very uncomfortable to me the first time that I wanted to say praise the Lord over something. I said it, and that was almost like cussing in reverse would be now. If I forced myself to cuss now, that's what it was to make myself say praise the Lord back then. But I realized I'm not the same person I used to be. I noticed that all these Christians, you ask them how they're doing, they say, I'm blessed. And so it took me a while to train myself to start saying, I'm blessed. The first time I said it, it felt really weird. And I just sat around Christians. I wouldn't sit around other people. And then something good would happen. I don't say, I always said, praise the Lord. And they throw their hand up. And so I finally got to where I got, you know, pretty coming out of my shell. I was around Christians. But I remember one day I said, praise the Lord. My head went up. And then the name of Jesus. I got to where I started saying the name of Jesus. But you know what I found out? The more I hung around church people, the easier it became to say praise the Lord. The more I hung around church people, I say in Jesus' name I'm healed. In Jesus' name I'm blessed. In Jesus' name I'm going to get that car. In Jesus' name I'm going to get that job. In the name of Jesus, my dad and mom are coming into the family of God. The more I hung around, the easier it became to where I could begin to start saying that even around sinners then, where I started talking and saying those same things. You know why? Because it's not hard for sinners to cuss and talk about the things they do. That's where they live. Well, I started living in church and around church things. It wasn't hard for me to say, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Oh, I love Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, my blessings. And then because that's where I live, then the center world become the place I visited and church is where I lived. I'm no better preacher than you are shouting. Man, I'll tell you what. Pastors are called to step on toes. We're called to help you get uncomfortable. How many would rather get your life turned around where Centerville is where you visit, but church is where you live? Amen. What am I talking about? I'm talking about your life. Your life being saturated with this atmosphere, not just an occasional Sunday, but all of a sudden said, you know what? I think about that cold water in Mrs. Pastor's swimming pool. I think I'm going to come out Sunday night and I'm going to stick it up to my knees. And I'm going to stand there for a while. And then when Wednesday night comes, I think I'm going to jump in up my waist. I'm going to come on a Wednesday and see how it feels. And then coming Saturday, it's men's meeting time this coming Saturday. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come to the men's meeting. And I'm not just coming for the breakfast. I'm coming for the fellowship of the Word of God. I want to be around these strong men. So I come around there, I'll start changing my vocabulary. And I might get brave, brave enough this week one time in front of people out the world, I might say, they say, how you doing? I won't say, well, considering the circumstances. Uh, you know how to, that's the best you can expect. I'm going to get brave this week. And they say, you know, I'm going to say, I'm blessed. If you're a born-again believer, your life should be scheduled around church events. I want to say that again. If you're a born-again believer, your life should be scheduled around church events, not scheduling church around natural events that do nothing for you spiritually or eternally. 
Amen. Pastor David, stand up one time. Just stand up one time. Amen. Because we chose to live our life this way, when this little little guy was three, well, not little, he grew up, didn't he? When he was three and a half years old, when he, is, when he is three and a half years old, he was crippled and couldn't walk. And he had leukemia. At three and a half years old, in a couple of weeks, all of a sudden in the hospital, he jumped up and started dancing because the anointed of God on his life. Then the doctors looked in their microscopes two weeks after diagnosis, and they said, there's no cancer in his blood. He's healed. Amen. 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 Can I tell you something? And, you know, I'm helping you. I'm not against anything. I'm for everything. A soccer practice didn't heal him. A football team didn't heal him. A basketball game didn't heal him. Oh, man, Pastor, you don't like anything. Man, my family's done all those things. They're doing it now. We're doing soccer and basketball, football and stuff now, except that fits around our church schedule. We don't put our church schedule around the practice times. Amen. Dare to say, I've seen too many people when the crisis came and something hit their family, like hit my son like that, they tried to figure out what to do to get out of it. I'd have to try to figure out what to do. I lived in this atmosphere all the time. We were in church all the time. When the attack came, I didn't have to wonder. Matter of fact, matter of fact, I met a lady a couple of weeks ago and she had some Serious things go on in her life. I started talking about healing. And she said, how could I pray for God to heal me when he gave it to me? And I said, this pastor sitting right there, mouth dropped open, and I tried to keep a straight face. And I said, God didn't give that to you. So God's responsible for everything. I said, no. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes, you might have life, and that more abundantly, Amplified Bible says, have and enjoy life. If your child's sick, you're not enjoying life. If you're sick and incapacitated, you're not enjoying life. But you know what? People that don't go to a good church and sit in that atmosphere, they don't know that. And so they think, how could I pray for God to take cancer off me if he's the one that gave it to me? Well, that's called deception. And Christians that aren't in this atmosphere are deceived. And when crisis comes, like Pastor Dave said a lot of times, Mass is the wrong time to start pouring a concrete foundation when you're six foot underwater. you got to lay the foundation now. I'm doing better preaching than you are shouting. Amen. And so anyway, as I was writing this message out a few days ago, I thought this commercial I've seen on TV, I don't see a lot of commercials because we DVR everything. Most of the time we'll have to watch them. But anyway, how many's ever heard this, 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 this uh, theme on this commercial? How much is in your account? Anybody ever heard that commercial? It's what is it, about Capital One or something, some, I don't know what it is. How much is in your account? Well, the Holy Ghost gave this to me concerning what he wanted to talk to you about, about this. I want to look at this from the spiritual side, from God's viewpoint, about why church services should be the most important event on your schedule. How much faith is in your spiritual account? How much faith is in your spiritual account? Can I, can I give you a little test right here? I'm the pastor of the church, and I think I know the pulse of my church. In other words, I think I know, I know, think I know how the people, where they're at. This will be a test on your faith. 
If you get sick with symptoms in your body or one of your kids, if your first thought is not, believers lay hands sick, they shall recover. If your first thought is, let's get to the emergency room, let's get to the doctor, I'm not against any of those things, man, you got to do it. If your first thought is not, lay hands on them right now and let Jesus heal them. If that's not your first thought, guess what? Your faith account's about bankrupt. The first thing that I've done for 40 years since I found out about Jesus and healing, the very first thing I've done at the first sight of a bellyache, a headache, anything going on, my first thought is this. Jesus said, lay hands on sick, in his name they shall recover. And so how much is in your faith account? If your first thought at the sign of trouble is what's that telephone number? Or I'm going to Google this. Google Siri, uh, what do you do about a bellyache? Google Siri, what do you do if your teenager cusses you out? If that's your first thought, let me tell you what, your faith account's empty. Your first thought should always be looking up to heaven and saying, Father, in the name of Jesus. James 1.5 says, if I lack wisdom, ask of you. It didn't say, if I lack wisdom, go to Google. Or go to the opinion poll. What's the majority of people saying? Well, the majority of the people, Jesus said, the multitude are the valid decision. He said the multitudes are on the broad way that leads to destruction. He said narrows the way that leads to life. So we need to not find out what Google says or what the multitudes are saying. We need to say, Father, what does your word say? What did you say if my teenage daughter tells me she's going to do this and this and this and this? What does your word say, Jesus? How do I handle my teenage daughter? Who gave your teenage daughter those hormones? Who gave your teenage daughter that mouth? The one that gave it to her ought to be the one that's got the answer how to handle her. Uh, uh, Okay, just get on, go, 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 get away from that. How much is in your faith yet? How much love? is in your spiritual account. How much love is in your spiritual account? This is not my main message, but we got to hit it for a minute because this is why church. How much anointing is in your spiritual account? How much anointing is in your spiritual account? I want to say it again to most of you, this word anointing is a mystery, but Jesus wants you to receive revelation knowledge today of his anointing the value of the anointing, how to receive more, and how to keep it. I want to say that again. Jesus wants you today to receive revelation knowledge. And then somebody said, what's revelation knowledge? I've never heard of that phrase. It's Bible. There's two kinds of knowledge. Well, this is not a Bible school class today, but it kind of can't be a mini little class. There's two kinds of knowledge. There's revelation knowledge, and there's sense knowledge. Sense knowledge is natural knowledge. That's the knowledge you learn from the world. And, you know, all, all, all sense knowledge, all natural knowledge is not bad. It's nice to have knowledge about finances. It's nice to have knowledge about medical things. It's nice to have a lot of knowledge about a lot of things. It's nice to have knowledge about the driving laws where you are. I was talking to Colin about the different driving laws in California compared to Indiana. I learned when I came out here that things in Indiana you're supposed to do California says don't do them when you're driving. 
And back in, in Indiana, there's things that, uh, that uh, you do in California you can't do there. You've got to learn the laws where you are. So there's lots of things you've got to know in life. But then there's, 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 Bible, there's Bible knowledge. And uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, he asked the disciples, said, Who do men say that I am? He said, Some say I'm Jeremiah. Or some say I'm Elijah. Or John the Baptist or one of the prophets. Well, that's what natural people try to figure out, who's Jesus. But Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And then Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, he said, said, well said, Peter. He said, flesh and blood didn't teach that to you. But my Father in heaven revealed that to you. That's revelation knowledge. But all of a sudden, you're seeing something in the Bible. You're hearing something taught. And all of a sudden, you know that you know that you know that you know. You know that you know. And I'll tell you a revelation that some people need to get that they may not have yet, but all of a sudden you get it. You've been mad at somebody for 40 years. Somebody in your own family. Somebody that wronged you a long time ago. You've never let loose of it. That's called offense. Offense will block your faith from ever working. There comes a point in time we'd all said you say the word of God. Jesus said, forgive, and you'll be forgiven. When he says, pray for those that talk bad about you. Pray for those that persecute you. Pray and curse not. And he says, then your Father in heaven blesses you. And so the thing is, all of a sudden that becomes really you. Wait a minute. I've been mad at my brother for 30 years. What have been mad about? I don't even remember what we've been mad about. We haven't talked for 30 years. Duh. Revelation knowledge says, forgive your brother for something you forgot what it was he did to you. And then you know what I found out a lot of times? When you get mature enough and you become a forgiver, all of a sudden you realize you're the dumb butt anyway. Oh. <laughs> you try to remember what it was. And the reason you couldn't remember what it was because you're the one that did it. Say it one more time. I'm doing better preaching than you are shouting. Amen. And so anyway, we want to learn about the anointing day. So what is the anointing? What is the anointing? Actually, the Bible teaches on three different kinds of anointings. As so I want to look at these just real briefly, a couple of them, before I get to the last one I want to look at. But anyway, three different kinds of anointings the Bible teaches. So let's just get down to it. Number one, we're going to talk about the believer's anointing. I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 2, not the Gospel of John, but the Epistle of John at the end of the Bible. 1 John, you got 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, 1 John, and I know that, uh, you know, something, something I want, we're going to look at chapter 2, verse 20 and 27, but when I first become a Christian, I didn't know where the books of the Bible were because I wasn't raised in church. I can tell you lots of other things, but lots of other books, and lots of other books I read got burned pretty quick after I got bored again because I saw there was pictures in them I couldn't look at anymore. So I got rid of the books I used to have, and so we didn't have all the, didn't have any kind of modern technology when I got bored again. We did have running water and electricity, but, <laughs> and, and yeah, we had those cars, remember those things you cranked? We had, <laughs> no. no, I was a cranky one, we didn't have a crank, but anyway. But anyway, what I'm saying is this. Don't ever be embarrassed 
if it takes you a while to get to a page in the Bible. And now let me talk to my sons and daughters of the faith that teach up here. Sometimes we let you teach. All my sons and daughters that ever get to teach the Word of God up here, let me give you a clue that's going to help you. When you give people a scripture to go to, give them a little while to get to it. And I've seen, for my sons and daughters of faith that teach here, I'm telling you, just give you a clue right now. I've seen too many of you, too many times I didn't have a chance to talk to you. You give a scripture, and two seconds later you're reading it, and you're going to another scripture. And even me, as well as I know the Bible, sometimes you get the scripture so fast, I can't get to where you are, and I don't know where it's at. So if you're really going to help the people, it's not the multitude of scriptures you're given. It's giving people time to open their Bibles and find them so they can see them. Amen? And so anyway, to say to you new in the faith that don't know your Bibles very well yet, number one, please buy a Bible if you don't have one. We've got goods at the bookstore. Because you need a Bible, not just a cell phone app. You need a Bible. But then, if you're slow getting to it, don't worry about it. It's like everything else in life you do. The more you use it, the more you learn it. And so don't just read it in church. Take it home. If there's verses you heard today that helps you, take it home, open it up, and put yellow marker through it if you want to. Put a, put a marker in the Bible or you can open it up and find it easy. And over the course of time, all of a sudden, you're going to start learning where places are in the Bible. And then when the pastor gives scriptures, you're going to get to it pretty quick. Amen? But don't be embarrassed if you can't find it quick. So First John chapter 2. Verse 20 and 27, talking about the believer's anointing here. It says this, and this is talking to born-again Christians. But you have an unction, and the Greek, that unction means anointing. If you've got a modern translation, I'm sure that it says the anointing. It says you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. And you know all things. I'll tell you what that means in just a second. Look at verse 27. Talk about that unction, the anointing. But the anointing which you have received of Him abides in you, and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you. See, we're talking about the anointing. Teaches you of all things that is truth, that is no lie, and even as I have taught you, you shall abide in him. Well, I've heard this anointing unction called the unction to function. The unction to function. The believer's anointing, every born-again believer has this believer's anointing. That's the thing that if you're Sitting at a service like this, you're hearing things you haven't heard before. On the inside of you, where the anointing is in your spirit, we call this bear witness. The anointing bears with your spirit where you hear this and you know, that's right. That's the answer I've been looking for. I've been praying about that. I've been thinking about that. And now I know. So the anointing of God in our lives as a believer, as soon as you receive eternal life, you receive the anointing. When you pray that sinner's prayer, when you say, Jesus, forgive me and come into my heart, I want to be, I want, I want to be born again, I want to go to heaven. When you pray that, that anointing gets in you. He says it anointing in you and abides in you. The anointing will lead you to make right decisions. The anointing will give you the strength to say no when you're being forced to try to do something, risk something you don't believe in. The anointing, it says the anointing abides in you. It teaches you. And, there, you know, there's, you know, there's, I, I, I don't want to spend this too much time on this. But I'll tell you the value of the anointing, the believer's anointing. The anointing of God 
will allow you, when you're with somebody else that doesn't really know the Bible, and they try to tell you something they've been here and taught that's error, you know it's error, and they'll say, ain't that right, ain't that right. The anointing will give you the strength to say, no, that's not right. Well, don't you agree with that? It'll give you the strength to say, no, I don't agree with that. Because you have the anointing that leads you into all truth. And you know, here's about that anointing. When you're a new Christian and know nothing about God, like basically how I was when I got born again, the anointing, even if you don't know verses, because you don't know the Bible yet, the anointing will let you know that's wrong. The anointing will tell you, this is what you got to do. And so I'm telling you the value of the anointing. And so that's the believer's anointing. Everybody, if somebody gets born again in this church service today that's never been born again yet, and they come up here today and they say, I want to receive Jesus, as soon as they say, Jesus, come into my heart, they got that anointing. And that's the same anointing you have. You've been saved 60 years. If you're 100 years old, you have the believer's anointing if Jesus lives in your heart. Amen. Isn't that valuable to know that? Amen. And so you have that anointing. And so the anointing is the presence of Jesus in your life. What's that again? The anointing is the presence of Jesus in your life. Now I want to look at the preacher's anointing, another anointing. Look at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And we're talking about another anointing. I want to highly recommend those books I showed you out of the bookstore because there's, there's so, you know, I just think about this subject a few days ago. The Lord put this on my heart to teach on this. I was thinking, man, Jesus, this is a Bible school class. This is a course that we teach for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. But just to touch on things briefly up here, you know, on Sunday morning, we can whet your appetite. But I, I, I know you all read stuff. You read Facebook, you read the news apps and all the stuff you do. Just buy some of those faith books, take them home, and sometimes silence your cell phone or other things. Pick up a faith book and read it, and you'll start growing in faith. And growing in knowledge of these spiritual things. We're talking about the preachers already now, another anointing. Luke 4, verse 18 says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus talking he says, the Spirit of the Lord's upon me. Remember that one book, the Spirit upon, the Spirit within? Well, there's anointing comes on preachers to do what we do because he hath what? What's he, what's he done? Jesus said, he's anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord came on me. That's the Holy Ghost. Came on me. He anointed me to what? To preach the gospel to the poor. He's anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. He's anointed me to preach deliverance to the captives. We're talking about people that are in bondage to alcohol, nicotine, drugs, pornography, fear, whatever it is, whatever it is that has people in bondage where they can't do what they want to do. It says, I've got an anointing to deliver the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. I've anointed to set at liberty them that are bruised, or that means oppressed. I'm anointed to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And so God, through the person of the Holy Spirit, supernaturally enables preachers to fulfill what he has called and gifted them to do. The Lord told me years ago, the difference between a politician and a preacher is this. Politicians put out a lot of words. 
Preachers put out a lot of words. Well, unless the politician is a born-again Christian, Spirit of God on him, his words are dead words that don't really bring life. A preacher with the Spirit of God on him speaks words that bring life. Amen. We have anointing. They don't. They talk a lot. We talk a lot. Our words are anointed. There's not. Now, let me tell you something else, too, about the anointing. You know, when you come to a church service, if you're a new Christian, you don't really understand it, but you leave there, you think, man, I don't know why, but I just cried while I was sitting there. Well, you're just crying because that's the presence of Jesus on you. That's anointing on you. So you man, he just makes me feel so good. Well, you go to a pep rally where they're, where they're for a ball game, and you can feel good. But the anointing changes things on the inside of you to make you do good. Amen. The anointing from God says to preach delivers to the captives. Through the anointing, people get set free. That's the presence of Jesus. I want to look, I want you to look at another place right here. Look, look at Luke 10 38. This is not in your program or whatever. Look, uh, Acts 10 38. Look at Acts 10.30. I want you to see this. And this is Peter. Get an account of what Jesus just said here of how Jesus ministered. But you need to see this because he wants you to understand this. Acts 10.38. Peter said how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. There's power in the anointing. Who went about doing good? Helping old ladies cross the street. Uh, cook, cooking up pies for the church social. No. It tells you what the good he did than only was. Healing all that were pressed of the devil. For God was with him. Preachers that are anointed by the Holy Ghost. Now listen. Here's a clue. Here's a key for you. When you know... You're sitting under a man or woman of God anointed the Holy Ghost. If you need healed, like this morning people come up here, if you need delivered, then the power of God's there to deliver you. Power of God's there to heal you. And so it says God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power. Who about doing good? Healing all that were oppressed of the devil. You know, you're going to have to get this. The Holy Spirit is not just a puff of smoke. And the devil is not just some figment of your imagination. Well, you know, that's just something we use as an example. Good and evil. Uh, the devil and angels. No, if your eyes were open right now, you'd see all the angels around this room. If your eyes were open, you'd see some people sitting in this room. They give place to demons that have demon spirits traveling with them. But they're muzzled right now because this service is prayed over. So the demons are muzzled. But when they leave this service, the demons come back alive again, start influencing their life again. It says Jesus healed all that were oppressed of who? Why would the Bible say the devil if he's not real? Amen. See, too many times Christians... Try to fight spiritual warfare with natural means only when it takes the anointing of the Holy Ghost. 
They have the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Amen. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 4. Is this talking to anybody? Are you seeing things of the Word of God today? But, you know, as, as a pastor, called of God, been doing this, I actually started preaching back in 1981, became a bona fide pastor back in 1992. So I've, I've seen a lot of things, been around a lot of things, and my desire has never changed. I want to help hurting people. And, you know, they got a, what the, what's this thing they call it now about people? Well, they're just enabling them. You know, just making excuses for people. We don't make excuses. The Bible tells us what to do if we want to win in life. The Bible tells us what to do if we want to get set free from, from, a, from sickness, disease, addictions, and all those kinds. It tells us what to do. It's, there's, always, there's always two people involved with you winning in life, whatever you're facing. Number one is God. Number two is you. God will tell you his part. God always wants you healed. He always wants you free. He always wants you blessed. But then there's your part. God always gives you something to do. And think, what's our theme verse for the year? It says, don't neglect your church attendance as some do. He says, but exhort one another daily. He says, encourage one another so much more as you see the day approaching. What day's approaching? Well, if you're a Christian like I am, and believe the Bible like I do, Jesus Christ is real. Jesus Christ told us in the Gospels, lots of other prophets of the Bible told us, there's going to come a period with the time as we know it, the church age ends. And then it says Jesus is going to come in the clouds. It says God's going to blow a trumpet. And says we're going to fly out of here. And then it says there's going to be seven years of tribulation. And God's going to judge the world. Things are going to happen. And that's the day that's approaching. And you know, I know that when you're a young person, I was a young person once, I'm still pretty young, you know, compared to Black Methuselah or somebody, you know, live eight or nine hundred years old. But, <laughs> but for our times, I'm halfway in between. But anyway, when you're young, you don't think very much about eternity things. You think, well, you know, I've got lots of time like that. And, you know, I, I, I used to think things like that. I, thought, I heard Billy Graham say something one day. You know, we talk about the rapture and what we're talking about, the days coming, Jesus, the rapture going to happen. And, and Jesus said, well, hey, guys, i got something to tell you. If you're 20 years old, it doesn't make any difference. said, if you die today, don't worry about the rapture. You're still going to see God. How are you going to answer? And so, to me, the day approaching, he's talking about Jesus coming back, but the day approaching be when you take your last breath. Amen. So much more you see the day approaching. So anyway, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. Now this, this is talking about, about preachers now. And verse 7 says this, But to every one of us is given grace, and that grace means divine enablement, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. Christ was not Jesus' last name. Christ is the ministry office he stood in. He's the Messiah. And so Christ comes from the word Christos, which means anointing. And so according to the measure of the gift of the anointing, that's what we have in our ministries. I have the grace, the divine enablement, 
And I have the anointing of God to minister to hundreds. I don't have the anointing to be a mega church pastor. What I'd like to be, if God ever calls me to be, I will be. But I'm very content at this season of my life to have hundreds of people that I have anointing for. I don't have anointing for thousands. I don't have anointing for 10,000. You notice it says, according to the measure, I have the measure of the gift of anointing in my life to minister to hundreds of people is what I've got. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to do my very best to minister to hundreds that if God ever wants to increase that, that I will increase with it. But right now, if I had a thousand people in here today, I'd probably fall over. Because I'm not equipped to minister to thousands, and I know that. There's been occasion I've got to speak in front of people like that sometimes. But the main thing is what I'm telling you, we're talking about the preacher's anointing. I have the preacher's anointing for hundreds of people. Some people have the preacher's anointing for dozens of people. Some people for tens of thousands. And so the anointings are different. you got the believer's anointing. you got the preacher's anointing. And so I'm talking about the preacher's anointing right here. He says he's anointed. Uh, the anointing is according to the measure of the gift. And then verse 8, verse 9 tells about Jesus dying, being raised from the dead. But then I want you to get to verse 11. It says that he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. We refer to that as the fivefold ministry gifts. But here's the purpose of the gift of the anointing of men and women of God for these different ministry functions. It says for the perfecting or the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. We are here to equip you to work for Jesus' ministry. That's why we're here with this anointing. For the edifying are building up of the body of Christ. So all fivefold ministers are anointed with Christ, gifting, and divine enablement. What Jesus had, they talk about in Luke chapter 4, is what we have now. We're extensions of Jesus' ministry. And so what Jesus had, we have. We're to equip and build up believers to serve and be effective in what God has planned for them to do. And so you need to schedule your life around church services if you want to do the best you can for what God's called you to do. You can't do it without being hooked up. Now, I want to look at a place here, Acts 13. We're going to talk about the corporate anointing now. Acts 13. Now we're going to take a look at the corporate anointing. This is where I want to hang out at for a while. And really, we're talking about the type of service we're going to have tonight. We had, we had a taste of it this morning as we begin to... Uh, see people healed, people's physical bodies touched by God. But Acts chapter 13, verse 1 and verse 2, talking about the corporate anointing now. And to me, this is the highest level of anointing. This is the strongest anointing. This is the most powerful anointing. Acts 13, verse 1 and 2, says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas, Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius and Cyrene and Manahin, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrich and Saul. Now look at this here, verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, I circled that because that is so important in our church services in our life. We've got to have the Holy Ghost said. The Holy Ghost said this morning, 
call out the ones that got ministered two weeks ago and ask them how they're doing. The Holy Ghost said this morning, tell anybody who has pain in their body to come up, I want to heal them. I want the Holy Ghost said in my church. I want the Holy Ghost said in my prayer life. I want the Holy Ghost said in every aspect of my life. The Holy Ghost said, separate arms and Saul for the work where I have called them. And so the key to that was this, as they ministered to the Lord. As they ministered to the Lord. Minister to the Lord means this, to pray, praise, worship, and sing praises. How many know the Lord wants us to minister to Him? He wants us to serve Him. He doesn't want just be our, our what we call on when we're in trouble and then flip Him off the rest of the week. I want to say that again. He's not just somebody that we carry on our iPhone that we just push a button and say, okay, God, need you now. And then as soon as he shows up, say, okay, thank you, goodbye. It says, as a minister to the Lord. I want to say it again. It means to pray, praise, worship, and sing praises. That's a corporate anointing when you set up that atmosphere. And so where there's unity, the Holy Ghost speaks. These people come together for one purpose. They wanted to hear God as they knew the system, if you want to call it that, that enables God to show up in a stronger measure. Number one, they had to come together, not with the, the attitude, my name's Jimmy, I'll take all you give me. Oh Lord, bless our Ford no more. Their attitude was this. We know he's real. We know he's not just a magic button. We know this is not just the six steps to getting blessed by God. But to come in, have all the problems they had in life, just be able to shut the problems off and know that the problems wasn't just the formula, but the problem, that the answer was to come together, just say, Jesus, your Lord. Father, I'm grateful. I know in my life, I don't know about you, but for the last 30, how many years since he got healed, I thank him for that all the time. I thank him. I've got a son that's with me in the ministry and he's healthy and reproducing everything. I thank him that although this time last year I was basically a vegetable in chemotherapy, stage four cancer, really serious heart things last year, I thank him all the time. I'm not sitting in a chair this year with a needle in my arm. I thank him. I'm not in some hospital. I was thinking this morning when I was shaving. This time last year I was at St. Mary's Hospital with that stupid heart stuff. And I, I just, I'm grateful. And I praise him. And I thank him. He allowed me to keep living to do what I'm doing today. I thank him. I minister to him. I worship Him. I give Him glory for what He's done in my life. And I recognize I want to stay in the secret place of the Most High. And I know when I do that, I bless it His heart because He knows that, well, who's that ungrateful punk? Look at him back out there just do, 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 like that. In our lives, we don't need to be ungrateful people. we got to remember where the blessing comes from. Amen. And so these people were coming together to praise and to give glory to God. And so unity 
unity amongst believers, having one purpose, one mind, one heart, one soul, is that Jesus, we're just a bunch of people that love you. We want to serve you. We want to give you praise. We want to give you glory. I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 10. It looked at this corporate anointing. Pastor, what is this all about? You're making me so uncomfortable. You're making me feel guilty. You're making me feel this. You're making me feel that. You're make, like that. Let me tell you, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. A lot of preachers preach with condemnation. That's pointing the finger out there and saying, you better quit smoking. You better quit drinking. You better quit fornicating. You better quit this. You better quit that. But they don't show you how to quit doing those things. Well, conviction is when a preacher preaches the word of God and you know in your heart, I need to change. They do that. But then they show you how to change, show you what to do. Amen. And so condemnation just judges you and makes you feel like low life. Conviction by the Holy Ghost shows you, here's what you need to do to come up to another level. You need to come up higher. Here's what you need to do. And I pray that's what's happened today, that people are getting convicted in the church service. People get convicted, hear this on the Internet, that think, wow, I need more of God and the place to get him is in church. Isaiah 10, 27, talking about the corporate anointing, says, As shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder, his yoke from off thy thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. The yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. The anointing is the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. And you know what a yoke is? Anybody ever watch the old shows on TV where they got like, well, we just out of Georgia, you see shows, they'd have the ball chain on their leg, the, the road gangs, they got the chain, the big old thing, a big bowling ball, they have to drag that, can't run fast, can't do much. Or people, people, you know, people in Chase Day, I mean, you see them on the TV shows where they go to court for court dates, they got the shackles, got the arms shackled to their sides, got their feet there. You can't go very far if you're shackled. Well, the devil shackles people with dope. The devil shackles people with alcohol. The devil shackles people with fear. 30 seconds and no more. If you're a Christian and you're afraid to fly in an airplane, you're shackled. You need to set free. Amen. The number one fear that God delivers people of, first of all, is the fear of death. If you're going to go to heaven when you die, why should you ever be afraid about dying? But then when you know the Word of God, you know you can live a long time before you go to heaven. So why would you be afraid to get on an airplane? I got too much family, lives around the country in too many places. I couldn't visit anybody if I couldn't get on an airplane. I don't have three or four days to drive across the country to see my grandkids over this side of the country. I got three or four hours to fly there, three or four hours to get back. But if I was afraid of flying, I could never go anywhere. That might get off that too long. If you're a Christian, you need delivered. Amen. That's a yoke. 
That's the bondage. The anointing will remove that burden, destroy that yoke. You can go anywhere and do anything. I'll tell you what, it's more risky to me to drive to Los Angeles than to fly to Indiana. Somebody said, amen or oh me. Amen. That's what the burden removing, yoke destroying power of God. The corporate anointing is the most powerful place on earth, uh, most powerful place on earth to be. It only comes through one heart, one accord, unity and praise and worshiping Jesus. This is the only way that I've ever seen where drunks, addicts, people held captive by every other evil thing, every stronghold level are completely set free to live a normal life. When you're in an anointed service where the bird removed and yoke destroying power of God's present, people are set free. People are set free. Then they're going to want to stay free. But I want, I want to close with an Old Testament group of people that cultivated the spiritual atmosphere for the corporate anointing. Look at Second Chronicles, Chronicles chapter 20. And I'll tell you what, if this doesn't light your fire, your wood's all wet. Like Brother Hagin used to say, have you got your shouting clothes on? How, how many is ready to see something and get something? Second Chronicles chapter 20. I'm going to read verse 12 to 22. I'm just going to hit a couple highlights here, probably two or three. But I want you to put yourself in Israel's position. Verse 12. The enemy was coming against the mighty forces. And, you know, in the time we live in, the enemy is anything the devil and life has thrown at you to destroy your marriage, to destroy your children, destroy your finances, destroy your health, to destroy your mental well-being. Anything coming against you is an enemy. Would you agree? If it's fighting your peace, it's an enemy. And so they said, O oh, our God, wilt thou not judge them, for we have no might against this great company that coming against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes upon you. And when things are coming against you in life, that's what you need to do. How many here, besides me, have ever seen something really impossible like what happened with Pastor Dave when he was young? Like what happened with me last year? How many know that of my own natural self, I had no power nor might to kick leukemia out of his life? I had no power, no might to cause his little spaghetti legs to straighten up and start walking again. I had no power, no might last year when that doctor said stage four blood cancer. I had no power or might of myself to do anything about that. I had no power, no might when that doctor said your right coronary artery artery has 99% blockage. That means there wasn't very much blood moving through my body. 90% 90% blockage. But you know what? Just like these guys, I do where to look. And so we're talking to you right now. And remember I said there's a God part, there's a man part. And so it says, all Judah stood before the Lord. All Judah went on Facebook and said, we get 10,000 likes. Well, let me tell you something. The last thing I would ever do in crisis Shaka Badakos. I got, oh, oh. I'd almost call it C-R-A-P book. Last thing I would do is go on that book. If I had a big serious thing going on, 
Because most of the people on there shouldn't be called Facebook. It ought to be called de-Facebook. Anyway, uh, they stood before the Lord with the little ones and wise children. Then upon, now look at this. Here comes the anointing. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benadiah, etc., etc., a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Remember what Jesus said? The Spirit of the Lord's upon me because he's anointed me. When the Spirit of the Lord comes upon someone, the anointing of God comes on that one. And so, and he said, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem and thou King Jehoshaphat. Remember the anointing will teach you. It'll tell you what to do. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. I want to tell you something. Now listen to me. I've done a lot of preaching today. We're coming to the end of the service. If you or your loved ones or people close to you are facing an impossible battle right now, this is the word of the Lord to you. The battle's not yours but God's. You can't win it, but God can. God knew about it before you even dreamed about it. God knew about the battle before you were even born. God knows. If I could just get you out of the mental realm into the spiritual realm to see what God sees, your whole life would change today. So here's these people. Now listen, this this thing is coming to a climax. This story right here I'm showing you, this is a true story. My mom's in heaven now, so I can talk about her. I led her to Jesus before she died. And she got born again. I know my mom's in heaven. My mom, her whole life, loved true stories. But they were, they were nightmare stories. She used to be, they didn't have the internet stuff. When I was growing up, man, she always had stacks and stacks of detective magazines. All she read about was true life magazine stories of rapists and thugs and murders and killers and bad people. And when I started witnessing her after I was a Christian, I'd say, Mom, and I'd tell her about my life Bible. She says, no, I like to read true stories. I showed her my Bible and said, this is true stories. <laughs> you know, I like to read true stories. And she always had fear and afraid of everything. Well, that fear was on me until I got born again. I started reading true stories. I read these true stories. I wasn't afraid anymore. And so I'm telling you this. My mom got enough of the truth. She got saved. She's in heaven. But it's too bad she was afraid her whole life because she wouldn't read the true stories. Jesus said the truth will set you free. This is the truth. Amen. And so he said, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. And somebody said, but pastor, we're facing court and that judge doesn't like my family. I know the judge that loves your family. Don't let some judge or some prosecutor, or they call them district attorneys out here, don't let these people put fear in you to tell you, I have to stand in front of this guy, and he said, the next time he ever sees me, etc., etc., Jesus said, be not afraid. Don't be dismayed by this multitude. Said the battle's not yours, but God's. And you know, somebody said, but I brought this on myself. 
tell you what, when you took your first breath come to this world, you brought it on yourself because when you're alive, the devil hates you. And so if you're a Christian, have done wrong things that open doors, number one, make it right with God. Number two, don't try to cover your guilt. Be honest about things. You know, if God is long-suffering and has mercy, don't you think God could talk to unsaved judges even? Unsaved prosecutors? Can't God talk to people if your heart's right and you let God fight the battles? Amen. See, I'm telling you, what am I, what am I, what am I trying to get across to you? You looking at the natural side, God's looking at the side you can't see. Jesus said, Peter, whom do men say that I am? Jesus said, well, you're Jesus Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. He said, flesh and blood didn't tell you that. God did. I'm telling you right now, God wants to talk to your heart today and tell you, if you'll make a shift to things you're going to see right here, that doesn't make you how big and how bad it is. God's bigger and He's better. Amen. Tomorrow, go you down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz. God even knows where the people you deal with are sleeping tonight and who they're sleeping with. God knows what they're going to have for breakfast. God knows what they're watching on TV. He knows everything about the people or the things you're facing in life. He said, you shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves. Let set yourselves means position yourselves. Tonight, many of us are going to get in position, see some spiritual doors open, change some things in our lives. We're going to position ourselves tonight. He says, set yourself, stand yourself, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. You show up for the battle, the Lord will be with you. You show up, but you're not showing up by yourself. The Holy Ghost is showing up with you. The Lord is showing up with you. And Jehoshaphat, in fact, he's the king, bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, what? Worshiping. Worshiping. Worshiping the Lord. And the Levites, and the children of the Korhites, and the children of Korhites, what they do? They stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with silent prayer. With what kind of a voice? A loud voice. So the king's worshiping, the congregation's praising, and they rose up early in the morning, and they went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. As they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Oh, hear me, O Judah, you have us address Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. But then he didn't stop there. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. Now let me tell you something, where a lot of Christians miss out on God's best. They believe in the Lord your God, so they're established in their salvation. But he said, then you believe the preachers too. They're not believing the preachers. Spirit of God. Remember, the Spirit of God's on these people. And God's talking. God said, you don't just believe in God. You believe the preachers is anointed too. They got something to help you. Amen. Somebody needs to make that adjustment today. You make that adjustment to start recognizing, you know, I'm not lifting up me at all. 
But look beyond the me, the good-looking, handsome, most, most handsome, word-of-faith person, preacher there is in Newberry Springs. I know I see him every day in the mirror, but I guess I'm the only word-of-faith preacher in Newberry Springs. But anyway, get, get past that goofy stuff I just said and see the gift in me, the anointing on me. And when God's anointing is on me, and I'm gifted up here, not telling corny jokes and stuff, but up here, being who I am with the Spirit of God, he said, believe as prophets, so shall you prosper. I'm not a prophet of God. I'm a preacher and teacher of God. And so when you believe what the anointing says through preachers, it's going to cause you to profit in life. Amen? That's what he says. So shall you prosper. It says, and then when he had consulted with the people, he appointed soldiers with bows and arrows, soldiers with spears. They're getting ready to go out and fight an impossible battle. So what's, what's he do? He gets the singers. The musician says, we're going to start doing something now. We're going to really fight this battle of the Spirit. Amen. And so it says, he appointed singers unto the Lord that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, there's the God part, there's the man part. What did they begin to do? This is an open test. We got the same Holy Bible. What did they begin to do? To sing and praise who? The Lord. What was God's part? God's part was take care of the enemy. God's part was to say, stand still, I'll fight your battles. God said, I'll fight your battles, but you got a part to play. Well, Pastor, I know you talk about this special Holy Ghost service tonight, but... There's the live ball game on. It's the big ball game. It's the winning ball game. It's the make or break ball game. And then besides that, uh, I've got my long lost cousin. We can't really stand each other, but we're going to have some suds tonight. Is that what they call them now? Well, back when I did, it was called beer. I think they call it suds now. Whatever they call it. Well, you know, uh, Pastor, I've got this, I've got, I've got these people that they don't like me and I don't like them. But they invited me to go with them. And I know they don't have any anointing. They don't have any help. And, but I do realize this week that I got this big thing coming up that if God don't show up, my family's in trouble. And I'm too embarrassed to say, no, I want to go to a church service tonight. The anointing will help you to say no to things you know you don't want to do and say yes to right things. And so this is God part. God says, I want to fight your battles. But then God tells you what your part is so you can open the door for God to fight your battles. And they begin to what? What did they begin to do? What are we going to do tonight? Who are we going to sing and praise to? Has he changed since then? And so these people are surrounded by the enemy. And then it says, The Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which had come against Judah, and they were smitten. God removed the burden and destroyed the yoke because of the anointing. God's part is He does the impossible. All part is we do the possible. It's possible 
to rest this afternoon. It's possible to come back tonight. It's possible to come in. If you feel good, if you feel bad, doesn't make any difference. Come in, we open our mouths, we open our hearts, we raise our hands, we love Jesus. And so when we come together in God's house to praise and worship in unity, we'll be opening the spiritual door for the corporate anointing. And so I just want to say we looked at three kinds of anointings today. And the highest level of anointing that I know of is the corporate anointing. The corporate anointing, has anybody ever seen the Benny Hinn meetings on TV and things like that? Anybody ever seen these big healing things on TV or been to a healing crusade where people come out to worship and all of a sudden people are falling out, people are getting up, people are healed, people are delivered. They hold the mic to their mouth and say, what's the matter for you, sir? And then they tell them an impossible thing happened to their body. Well, what about you, ma'am? What happened to you? What couldn't you do before? That's called the corporate anointing. We come together tonight, this place, when we worship God together tonight, our hearts are open, our mouths are open. And we say, Jesus, we truly don't want to ask you for anything. We just want to tell you you're good. We love you. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Love you, Jesus. Worship you, Jesus. You begin, we begin to do that. The Lord will set ambushments against those things in your life and family that you can't do anything about, but he can. So all I want to say is, guys... The hair is starting to stand up in the back of my neck right now because the Spirit of God's here and things are going to happen tonight. Amen. Let's stand up. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.